Hello and welcome to another edition of Logical, wherever you are in the world listening to this part of the regular weekly Logical podcast series from the Dubai-based law firm, HPL, Umalava and Plethka, the Gulf region's first and only legal podcast. I'm Tim Elliott with the firm's managing partner, Ludmilla Yamalava, here in Jumeirah Lakes Towers at the firm's head offices. Good to see you again. Good to see you as well, Tim, as always. Now, we're looking at a specific question. I have a specific example to put to you in a moment. Uh, But let's start with this. I want to buy a property here in the United Arab Emirates. I know that I have a deposit to pay, uh, but I want to make it contingent on having my mortgage application accepted by the bank. So that's clearly possible. Uh, Contractually, yes, it's clearly possible. But there are a number of nuances that are very important to keep in mind because something as simple as you've just uh, narrated can actually be, and in most cases, is much more complex in real life. Now, and that's for a number of reasons. Uh, The first thing you mentioned was a deposit. Yes. In most parts of the world, at least in the U.S., when you buy property, the deposit we're talking about, when you sign the initial documents, the deposit you're, uh, you're talking about is $5,000, maybe $3,000. And and it's usually uh, caveated with all sorts of conditions and fondant's purposes. If the transaction does not go through, that deposit in most cases actually gets returned to the prospective buyer. I mean, that's just the that's just the kind of the the short of it. Right. Now, in the UAE, the deposit is something else. Uh, number one, the deposit is customarily, and I highlight the word customarily, uh, is ten percent of the purchase price. So that's actually quite significant. Mm. In other parts of the world, it's rarely a percentage of uh, the purchase price, and if it is, we're talking about one or two percent. So. In the UAE, uh, the practice has developed to be 10%, which is extraordinarily a lot of money. So let's say if you're buying a property for 3 million dirhams, that's 300,000 dirhams of a deposit. And that's a lot of money, 10%. Mm. Now, so that's one uh, issue. And um, the other one is um, the condition that you're talking about. So can you make your transaction subject to obtaining a mortgage? Yes. And in most other parts of the world, this is a, a typical transaction. And in the event, um, if you uh, if you include it in the agreement and it's clearly spelled out and understood by, by parties, then obviously when you don't get your mortgage, then that's uh, an excuse. And that's a legitimate excuse for you to ultimately exit from the transaction and receive your deposits. And usually when something, something like this happens, the parties are kind of reinstated in their, um, in their original uh, place. And that is you get your money back and and then the seller is free to move on and sell the property to, or list the property to um, the next uh, prospective buyer. Now, in the UAE, you can include such clause, and um, and people do often include. The problem is that in most cases, it's not very well spelled out, and so uh, the the seller, for example, uh, and the agent, um, they may want and often do include additional conditions as to what they mean by getting a mortgage. And that is, well, you've gone to one bank and the, your bank refused to give you a mortgage. Then you say, well, you have to go to five other banks. Right. But in most cases, that condition is not actually written into the agreement. Uh, and yet the seller and the, in most cases, the agent 
uh, ultimately bully you into trying to go and, and get uh, quotes from other banks, even though it's not in the agreement. And now when you say, listen, that's not in the agreement, I am not going to, I'm not required by, uh, by contract to go to more than one bank, therefore I'm not going to go, then they start uh, in, uh, writing that condition into the agreement and therefore if you don't go to another bank they'll say well then you are in breach because you should go to two three more banks but and because you are now in breach in their minds well there is a dispute you say no only one bank they say no you have to go to three banks now you have a dispute and um, the deposit which you gave them is now at risk because there is a dispute so it's not that you get your deposit back even if legally you know that you're in the right and it's in your mind the contract is 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 clearly drafted uh, then you should really legally speaking you should get your deposit back mm. uh, but the deposit and this is the other nuance of how deposits are issued in the uae is that we don't technically speaking have the i guess the classical version of escrow services that you would have in other parts of the world and perhaps more so more in the western parts of the world and that is where you have kind of a third party service where your deposit is um, re resides uh, here the deposit usually stays with a broker a real estate broker and um, the real estate broker is often not uh, quite impartial uh, to uh, to you the and in these cases it would be to the buyer and so now your your deposit of 10 percent uh, which you gave perhaps in the name of the seller but into the hands of the broker in the form of a check is now with the broker and now the broker says hey you need to go talk to three other banks and you say, no, I went to one, my bank, and that's enough. And the, my bank didn't give me a mortgage, so therefore I can now terminate the agreement and exit from the transaction. The broker says, no, go to two other ones. And since the broker is holding, physically holding your check, now you have a practical issue. So legally speaking, you could be in the right, but in practice, uh, you have a check in somebody else's hands. And in the UAE, and we've talked about it in previous podcasts, a check is considered to be a separate legal instrument, separate from the transaction uh, under which you perhaps have issued it. So therefore, legally speaking, let's say the broker, I mean, not legally, practically speaking, the broker can give the check to the seller. And legally speaking, the seller, since he has the check that's in, it's in his name, can go and cash it. Mm. Because the check is considered as a separate legal instrument. Now... That is where the complication really comes in. And that is something as simple as what you just described becomes a lot more nuanced and a lot more complex. Uh, though legally speaking, you might be 100% in the right, then it's very clear that you only need to go to one bank and you didn't get the mortgage. Therefore, you should be clear and, uh, and, and get your deposit back. But in practice, uh, it's a different story. It's a much more convoluted answer than I'd hoped for. I mean, let me just bring this into really sharp financial perspective. So, say the house is 3 million dirhams. That was the example. The deposit is 10%. Uh, the house is worth 800-odd, $815,000, if I put that into US dollars. That means $82,000 is just the deposit. It's a hefty sum. And it sounds as though there's not much I can do if the scenario comes to pass that you've described. 
Well, um, there are a number of things you can do, but each one of these things will require for you to potentially spend money. Yes. <laughs> and that is, let's say, legally speaking, now you're saying, I want, uh, I'm out of the contract, and the seller says no. The seller may file a case against you, and um, you have to spend money to litigate that case in court. Mm. Uh, or you, perhaps, because the seller does not want to return or authorize the agent to return the check, uh, you may have to file a case in court and um, and have the courts uh, uh, rule on the issue of who's right, who's wrong, and and uh, ultimately get your check back. Uh, so that's on the on the commercial front, on the civil front. But on the criminal front, in in the meantime, let's say the agent does give your check to hands your check over to the seller, and the seller cashes it, and in fact you didn't have three hundred thousand dirhams in your account. So now you have a bounce check. Mm. And so now there's a criminal case against you. And so you have to go and source the 300,000 dirhams to be able to stay free. And that is not be put in jail, which is the uh, is the typical remedy here or recourse here when um, your check bounces. And that's one. And then you can file, and that you could do, you can file a civil case against the seller, arguing that they have to return to you the 300,000 dirhams because they were not entitled to it because of this transaction. Uh, but the case with the with the check is a sort of a separate check. Now, you could file another case against both the agent and the seller, and that's uh, for breach of trust which is a criminal case in the UAE or will be under the penal code. And the breach of trust argument is that, well, listen, I gave you this check in trust, dear agent, and you were holding it for me in trust. It even says so in the agreement. And now you've uh, you've compromised my trust and you gave this check, which I gave to you in trust and gave it to the seller. And so you have violated this trust. And same, you can make the same argument uh, to... Uh, the seller. So you can see before you know it, you could potentially have five or six cases going on uh, with uh, at least two other parties. My head, Ludmilla, is spinning. But this can be compounded further, can't it? Because if if the agreement stipulates that when the property is transferred, the real estate agent's fee is 1% of the sale price, they're due 30,000 dirhams in theory, are they not? That's their fee. Yes, and that is, in fact, interestingly enough, the majority of, of these uh, sales and purchase agreements that we see uh, in which um, the broker is not necessarily a party to the agreement, but is a beneficiary to the agreement. Right. And that is in particular with the, in the case of the deposit. So in most of these um, agreements, if, if the... Um, if the deal goes through, so there is a provision as to how much the the broker's fee will be, and as you said, it's let's say it's it's one percent, and this is kind of the the, the typical ones we've seen or the frequent uh, provision we've seen, and so one percent of three million is thirty thousand dirhams, eight thousand dollars. Yeah, so the the broker would receive if the transaction goes through. Now, if you, if you continue to read the agreement further, and I kid you not. A majority of the agreements we've seen are drafted the same way with regards to this particular provision. And that is, if the deal does not go through because of the fault of one or the other party, then the deposit uh, is retained by the seller and the broker gets X percent of the deposit as their sort of compensation. So in most cases, the compensation is 20% of the deposit. We've seen 50% of the deposit. 
anywhere from 20 to 50% of the deposit. So now if you take a deposit of 300,000 dirhams, 50% of it is 150,000 dirhams. That's compared to the 30,000 dirhams that they, the broker would get if the transaction goes through. Now, if you're taking about 20% of the deposit that goes to the broker, then we're talking about 60,000 dirhams. Okay. Still double of what the broker would be entitled to if the deal goes through. So to just summarize, it's more beneficial for the broker if the transaction does not go through than if it does go through. And that could be for something as simple as, I just didn't get the mortgage, it was refused. If for whatever reason, let's yeah. say the price, I mean, it depends on what you put in the conditions or in the agreement. Let's say you as a buyer, for you, the timing was essential because let's say your rental agreement was ending and you really needed to move somewhere else and you were going to buy this place and move in straight after your lease ends. And so therefore, timing is of the essence and you have that condition in the agreement. Well, somehow the seller was not ready with all the documentation in time and therefore that time passed. Mm. And so for you as as a buyer, it's no longer relevant to proceed with this particular deal because the timing, which was essential to you, was not uh, was not met. So that's another legitimate argument. Another one could be, for example, you have conditions that are in the agreement about the state of the property and certain issues that need to be rectified before you buy, and the seller somehow fails to rectify those things. Uh, or it could be that um, you're making the offer for this um, purchase price contingent on the land department uh, confirming that the property is valued at that price. And now you realize the property is valued at a different price, it perhaps below the price that you have um, offered. And that was in the agreement, your condition to going ahead with the with the purchase and so on and so forth. I mean, there are many arguments and many, many reasons why either party may be able to withdraw from the transaction without penalty. Uh, but uh, whatever it is that is in the agreement itself, a legal is stated and you would legitimately argue in court and prevail is a separate discussion from what happens in practice in the meantime uh, with regards to your deposit. Nobody's saying that a seller shouldn't receive a fair price for a property or a real estate agent shouldn't be paid for services uh, rendered. But from the example that you're quoting there, it's not really weighted in my favor as the buyer, is it? Uh, well, indeed. And uh, I will tell you, I'll be the first one to tell you since I'm in professional services myself, that I, I believe in people getting compensated for the services they have provided. But but they, that compensation should be proportionate to the services they provide. So perhaps the issue with real estate agents here is that they... Um, they need to have uh, a different formula that developed uh, where they can they get compensated for the work they've done, uh, even if the tra transaction does not go through. Because granted, uh, they might have pre performed services, and it was because of the fault of of not their fault that the transaction did not go through, and yet they have uh, spent resources and committed energy. And invested perhaps even money into trying to get this transaction go through. So, uh, yes, absolutely, there should be some sort of compensation. But that compensation should certainly not be greater uh, or it should not even be equal to the compensation if um, 
the transaction goes through. And certainly it should not be greater than when the transaction does not go through, which is what is the case now. So now potential investors who are looking to buy, read that particular clause carefully, because in most cases, you will see that in the event the transaction does not go through, the broker walks out with the deposit that's a lot greater than if the transaction is successful. So what should I do if I decide I'm going to go ahead and buy this house that's worth 3 million dirhams, $815,000? What's the answer? Well, it depends on who you're talking about, whether it's a broker or the seller. Perhaps um, you don't think that the broker should get anything because the broker did very little. So it's it's your own choice as to how you want uh, to compensate the broker or not. But mm-hmm. let's say you certainly, I would I would um, uh, suggest, should not agree to paying the broker more money than if the transaction is successful. Uh, so perhaps if you want to compensate, then the broker, you can come up with some some other formula as to how you want to pay them for their services. And with regards to uh, the seller and the conditions that you want to include uh, on which you want the transaction to be contingent, just be very, very specific as to what those conditions are and include clauses and sentences such as, for example, timing is of the essence or this is a critical condition to uh, to this transaction in the event I don't receive it, then the parties both agree that this transaction becomes void, for example, or the parties can withdraw without penalties. And so, in other words, you really need to take it to the lawyer to be properly drafted because the language we see in most cases is is highly unhelpful. Ludmilla Yamalova is the managing partner of the Dubai-based law firm Yamalova. Plethka, as ever, Ludmilla, thank you for your expertise. Uh, Always a pleasure, Tim. Thank you. That's another edition of Logical. We can't cover every aspect of the UAE's legal framework in every episode, but to get a question answered, you can find us at lylawyers.com. Find us via the social channels. We'll try to answer questions in a future episode of Logical or Logical Light. For a legal consultation, WhatsApp us direct to 009715252511611 or just hit the contact button at lylawyers.com.